on this July 19th, 2019, the 34th anniversary of both the George A. Romero Dawn of the Dead follow-up, Day of the Dead, and one of Tom Hanks' first movies, The Man with One Red Shoe. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and like we've been reviewing and previewing all up through the last couple months, we are on our way to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, debuting next week, Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, written and directed by the man himself, as we've been doing the big Tarantino rewatch series in the lead-up to that. This stands as the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood official preview you from MMO here. I am your co-host Mike Juan. This is co-host also Mike. Yeah, also Mike here. We have speculated about this ninth movie of Tarantino's throughout his rewatch. We are seven down or six down now? Is this his tenth movie? This what is, movie is this? This is nine. This is, <laughs> this is nine. nine. Can I We've count? talked about his tenth in previous in like last right. week. Uh, yeah. But we have Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight are going to be the final two in that series. And yeah, we can't help but like breaking into conversation and anecdotes about this movie. And yet we still found more on the, on the internet uh, that we wanted to preview for you folks heading into this. We're going to get to our review a little later than we, we normally hope yeah. to because we're go- we want to study it on the one hand. You're also going to be in parts unknown. Yes, I'm leaving tomorrow as you'll be hearing this. I'll be uh, heading out Saturday to Saturday. I will be back uh, the following Saturday. We'll probably get that review out sometime early in the following week there mm-hmm. and we'll do with the full-fledged oscar sprint profile breakdown we'll have everything you'll ever need to hear about what happens in once upon a time in hollywood does it live up to the hype is it worth the time and money is it going to be there come oscar season well funny enough that we have these questions to ask right now because as part of this preview we're going to run down the scores some quotes from other reviewers what they've seen it already what they think about it and then we're going to wrap up with our top five questions that we need answered from our viewings of once upon a time in hollywood so this is going to be a not only a preview episode but also a top five episode and we're going to get down asking the questions that we want to see Tarantino bring to the forefront and we think it's important for him to answer by the time we're done or by the time at least that Oscar season rolls around after this movie's had its run in theaters. So I want to start off with a small production profile talking about the casting here. This is all first page of IMDb credits. So not the surprise cameos. I'm not going to get into those. These are all people either we've seen in the trailer or you can see Mm -hmm. whatever through the marketing of the movie. This was supposed to be Tom Cruise. It's Brad Pitt and it's Leo DiCaprio. It was supposed to be Tom Cruise. Am I thought I that was a fascinating. Snob for saying if it was Tom Cruise that it would be marked way down in my book and not be as likely an Oscar contender. Tom Cruise about a, a movie about a cult. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I can see why he backed out. I wonder why he <laughs> he stepped away from this one. Didn't touch it. Mike Kurt Russell is in this movie. He's Randy. Who is Randy? I want to know who Randy is. He's going to be tough to see on screen in another Tarantino movie after doing what we did with Grindhouse and Death Proof. Now, what if he's Stuntman Randy (laughs) and he's the father of Stuntman Bob and Stuntman Mike? You know, if Tarantino had a sense of humor, he would introduce him as Randy and then have him die immediately in like a horrific car crash. Oh, no. (laughs) Sydney Sweeney from Sharp Objects, she played an awesome character in that series on HBO with Amy Adams. She is an unnamed character here that probably means Manson family. I'm excited to see her in this. You saw Sharp Objects. Yes. Sharp Objects is one of the many series, many, many series that I've said, well, I'll let it build up a few episodes so I can binge it. And I just haven't gotten to you it yet. You never do. No, but too it, busy it, watching the WWE Network. And we're too busy reviewing well, movies. This like, week, yeah. <laughs> uh, Dakota Fanning is Squeaky 
From? I guess Squeaky From, yeah. From? She was a very famous member of the Manson family. She actually was the one that tried to assassinate Gerald Ford mm-hmm. years after the Manson family was done. I believe she is still in jail for that assassination. Trying to kill the president usually makes it difficult for you to get out of jail. Yeah, the uh, the whole parole system yeah. is not going to look fondly right. on presidential assassination attempts. Yeah, my mother, actually, now that I think about it, she's she, one of her many things she's been fascinated with the manson family herself yeah probably a cult member but yeah. she was friends with a cousin or a sister or somebody of squeaky from's f- actual family were your parents in college. hippies was your mom a hippie dude she's got some stories oh no i'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to talk to your mom next time i see her damian lewis from billions from mm. homeland he plays steve mcqueen mike and that's a great at least just on an aesthetic, a look-alike thing. Yeah, he kind of looks like Steve McQueen. Does he? I could see that, yeah. Well, Steve McQueen wasn't a redhead, or was he? I don't, I don't think, think so, but but there's just the facial features I could see. You know, all right, it's all so him up a little bit. You. I can see that. Emil Hirsch from Wild, from Speed Racer. Speed Racer is how I remember him as well. He is Jay Sebring, so he's a good actor. And, of course, the late, great Luke Perry he plays a character called Wayne Maunder. Luke! It'd be nice to see him on screen again. You got One Pitt. last role. Yeah, you got Pitt, you got Leo, you got Margot, you got Al Pacino. We all know this. We're going to talk about them in a minute. Some uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes right now. 92%. The last I looked with an 88 Metascore. Here are a few quotes from Stephen Garrett. He says, Think less Inglorious Bastards and more Jackie Brown. That made a mark on me. I, sure. I was uh, yeah, you're not going to get the big explosive, violent, action packed scene. Don't know how much I believed that. High-paced, action-packed movie. Right. You know, Tarantino did a slower movie with Jackie Brown. So maybe this is more Son of Sam than it is, you know. Well, Son of Sam is a berserker. Right. Uh, Well, that's if you're going to do the Manson family. Yeah, it builds to that. (laughs) But Spike Lee, I mean, the party scenes in Son of Sam, if it gets to that point, my God. Tarantino is in no rush to tell his story, says Peter Howell. And that's why I'm thinking it's more like a grind, grittier, realistic I wonder also how much of this is going to be Manson family-centric, or if this is actually just a look, a snow globe look at Hollywood, and the Manson family just happens to be one part of what was going on at that time. Perfect segue into Nicholas Barber's quote on Rotten Tomatoes. It is essentially a goofy, good-natured hangout comedy. Yeah. Which is not what I expected. Not at all. Not what I would expect this to be. And especially because of the high marks. I mean, it still does have a 9.6 on IMDb as well and 7,500 user uh, scores. So I wouldn't expect that of a hangout comedy, you know? Absolutely not. But I'm kind of in for that. Sure. I'm totally in for that. Box office projections as of now. uh, Box office pro is saying between 40 and 60. Still on Wikipedia that it's around 30 for that opening weekend. We've been pitching for a while that we really hope original properties can really score at the box Go office. Go out and see this movie. To get please. us more of them. Yeah. And if it does open 60, if usually 60, 50 to 560 is usually a threshold. You could hit that. You could usually expect to do about 200 stateside at least. So I'm, I'm wondering what it's going to do overseas too. His films have done very well mm. overseas in the past. The international markets have exploded in recent years. Is a Tarantino film going to play well? Is it going to triple its domestic gross like we've seen other movies do with its uh, international gross? Because that's kind of where you need to score nowadays if you want that billion-dollar gross or $500 million gross. Especially juxtaposed against what this seems to be posited as as a film in that this is a wholly, uniquely American 
centric movie. Right. So do foreign markets care at all about that, or do they just care because Tarantino does have exposure overseas? I mean, Glorious Bastards did very well overseas. His all, last couple yeah, movies, all movies. Right. So he does cater to the European market. Uh, I don't know how he's done in China and, and Asia historically. I don't know. I don't know either, but I know, but I know he up. calls himself an international filmmaker. Right. He doesn't call himself an American filmmaker. Yeah. Which is fascinating. But we're ready for our top five list. Yeah, all right. So well, these are the top five questions we need answered, whether uh, about the production of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the actual content of the plot, the movie itself, some maybe leading up to award season, how it will hang in there. Mike and I both came up with our list of five. Uh, five questions, five issues, however you want to kind of position them. Some of them are questions, some of them are just statements on my end, and I'll start with number five. More of a statement here. I need to see what Margot Robbie's role in this actually is. Yeah. She's playing the Sharon Tate character, and I have a feeling that every Everybody is going to be thinking, any film nerd anyway, is going to be thinking, was that critic at Cannes who criticized Tarantino for minimalizing Robbie's role right or not? I is agree. there enough of a role here for Margot Robbie to sink her teeth into? Was she just covering for Tarantino when she spoke up on the dais that day and said, I felt like there was a whole, wholly different kind of acting experience for me? There was more freedom for me to move around because mm-hmm. I was in such a truncated piece? Or was this legitimate gripe on the part of the New York Times uh, reporter who was there. Now, you don't need dialogue to give a great performance. No, We've absolutely We've seen not. this at the Oscars with good, if not great films. You know, however you talk about the artist, if you don't love it as a great film, it's still a, a good film. Its domination of that award show has, you know, maybe put it in the category of it's overrated. Right. And I, I get that. It's still a silent film and you have great performances in there. Hell, Mike, we just reviewed a mostly silent film in Wally. That's what I was going to bring up if you didn't. We die, we would die for that robot. Absolutely. We would die for that robot. I don't want to, you know, compare her that robot to Margot Robbie, but just on the basis of fact, we don't care necessarily if you got a whole soliloquy to yourself. Right. Margot Robbie could elicit that quote-unquote light at the center of the film that she says Sharon Tate's character is for this movie without having to speak all the Tarantino dialogue. Uh, you know, will she? We'll find out. Now that said, I would expect she has more than a, a fair share of speaking lines. I mean, Tarantino is the master of dialogue anyway. He's the quick-witted one. He's always, that's what he's most known for, I would argue. I'm hopeful that this is not going to be an issue, that this right. is an overblown criticism because the for a guy like Tarantino, who's been so mired in controversy, the less landmines he has to yeah. avoid, the better already. Because totally there's going to be some. And if this movie has a ton of backlashes to right. it, whether it's justified or not, it's not going to win. Hey, you're looking at my next point. What's your number five? Handle the serious stuff well. This is kind of an overarching thing, but obviously the Manson family is a serious subject. Yes. Sharon Tate, Polanski tragedy, That you got to handle that the right way. Absolutely. If you retcon it, like he's done in other movies, mm-hmm. the actual history, is it going to be something done in bad taste? Are we going to cheer it like we did in, in those previous films? you got to juggle tonal issues with the serious stuff. Without question. And we have critics talking about this as a hangout comedy. And we, ha- we know the Manson family's in there. Mm-hmm. Huh? That seems to be a paradox. I wonder if he gets to the murdering at all, maybe. And there's so many ways he could go on this. I'm very interested to see which way he will. But handling it seriously just kind of bleeds itself into my next point anyway, which is, again, 
Can you avoid the unnecessary controversies? And this is not a man that's, you know, if you do handle the, the Tate murders and you make a joke out of them, that's going to be creating an unnecessary controversy that you don't have to do. And every controversy that you create because of what's in your film is only going to take away from your chances of this thing actually competing for any Oscars at the end of the day. On its face right now, based on our previews, uh, we just released part two of our mid-year Oscars report couple days ago part yep. one was released last week part three covering best picture and best director will come next week suffice to say between you and i right now we tend to believe he's capable of sidestepping any unnecessary controversy or at least addressing it in a way that satisfies us he's a nuanced filmmaker i think what gets lost in a lot of the uh uproar about his movies is that the violence is so loud the profanity is so gross some of those elements kind of makes you the yelling person in the argument automatically makes you the bad guy right right automatically like if you use foul language in a refined setting mm -hmm. then you're automatically the rube or you're automatically looked down upon i don't necessarily think his films are simple or nihilistic or any of those things that's going to be a thesis throughout my top five here so he is totally capable uh, on speaking on a many uh, a myriad of subjects symbolically, which we just saw in *Inglorious Bastards*. Yeah, and, and along those lines, it will be interesting to see because this movie means so much to him. Once upon a time, Hollywood. Like this is probably this first or second most on his mind since *Inglorious Bastards*, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would put as far as long-term projects of his. It'll be interesting to see. We know this is a man that cares about the Academy. Yeah. So. Knowing that he's putting his heart and soul into this, and this movie means so much to him, and it's been with him for so long, if he's going to kind of placate to the Academy a little more with this one than just doing things the Tarantino way and asking asking for forgiveness later. Well, then again, a way to do this is asking for forgiveness now. Is this movie going to no. be an apology for his Polanski comments, an apology for his admissions of guilt, his mea culpa over the Me Too movement? Was that already done with Death Proof? You know, death proof following up Kill Bill 2. You just had a major car accident. Almost ruined a friendship, maybe ruined a friendship yeah. with between him and Uma Thurman, one of the most important people in his life. You had Mira Sorvino tell him about Harvey Weinstein. And he knew about Harvey Weinstein through Mira right. Sorvino, who was his girlfriend, I think, for a while, and one of the most important people in his life at the certain time. You make a movie about... A predator, mm -hmm. a ma old man predator in your next movie that happens to kill people with a car and, and all these woman, women that we come to love in that film. So I don't think that movie was an accident. Is this movie going to be commenting on his last 10 years? Well, as a means of added pressure, or at least maybe added intrigue to that point, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter is in this picture. She is a great young actress, by the way. I should, I'm kicking myself to this day, Michael. We reviewed Stranger Things, and she was one of my favorite new characters mm -hmm. in that, and characters, period, in that uh, show. And I had it written down, and we just got going in that conversation, and I didn't address it. I, I was like, who is this girl? Who is she? <laughs> I recognize her from somewhere. I recognize this girl. I've seen her as a child actress. And, of course, she looks just like her mom. Right. I mean, it's just crazy. And she's phenomenal. And she's hopefully she plays some kind of intricate role into this. But having her on set, 
I mean, do you, how much more of a constant reminder do you need of the tightrope and the friendship you almost lost and the tightrope you're walking with one of your former best friends in Uma Thurman? Anyway, I would think that would serve in and of itself as enough of a reminder to, for him to play it respectfully yeah. towards those kinds of issues. So we kind of address my five and your four both at once there. My four is, if it's going to be slower paced, will it be mesmerizing? Now, I've mellowed as a movie watcher. I've loved some slower paced films of the past 20 years. A flashback to me at 15 years old, I need a fast-paced movie. Of course. I need yeah. a screwball comedy. I'm liking Lebowski, I'm liking Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. I'm liking Reservoir Dogs, but I'm not necessarily loving Kill Bill 2 as much the first time I see it because it's a slower-paced film. I'm yeah. loving Kill Bill 1. And I still love Kill Bill 1. That being said, I don't think I love Phantom Thread back when I'm right. you know, when 20 years old. Yeah. 15, 20 years old. I love Phantom Thread. I, I mean, I got a, totally obsessed with Phantom Thread, and that's a slower-paced movie. Sure. We both enjoyed Jackie Brown. Absolutely. Uh, in this rewatch, and that's a slower-paced movie. You know, Inglorious Bastards has some slower scenes to it. He can do whatever he wants. He's proven this. Yes. I mean, he can do any type of movie he wants, and he can excel in it. So is this him taking on the purposefully hangout picture that's done? Is this his Dazed and Confused? Just happens to be set in 1960s Hollywood? If it is, I have... Very little doubt and very few doubts that he can pull off a satisfying picture in that genre, in that way. Yeah, he could also go too far with it, like sure. Inherent Vice, sure. which to me is a, a well-made movie by Paul Thomas Anderson. I, I really liked that movie. That book, I had to almost read it twice. It was like one of the audiobooks. I had to stop halfway through, go back to the beginning. It's like, I don't get what's happening, but I like it. And I like the character of Doc, no. and I want to listen to it. But I had to like listen really harder my second listen. I think this movie has some pitfalls to it because of the pacing. In that last movie, it was all for the benefit of suspense. And the payoffs were huge. Does he have payoffs in a hangout comedy that may or may not address these real-life issues. We don't know, Mike. Is he going to make this a full-blown comedy with those goods delivered? That's not been his M.O. He's made us laugh at weird stuff, at yeah. stuff that we're not supposed to laugh and at. And that goes right back to the first couple points we were talking about anyway. If he does make the Manson family movie a comedy, that's probably causing shit for the sole purpose of causing shit. I don't know what he's going to do. A lot, of, a lot of red flags, a lot of potential pitfalls, but it's not unlike anything he hasn't dealt with before. I guess in some weird, twisted way, you could say at least he's experienced and should be able to see those coming now with all the controversies he's been mired in. He's fed on a lot of controversies in in the past with his movies. Never mind. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about the, the serious stuff. No. I'm talking yeah, about no, I, I hear you. in his movies. I agree. And But he, he wants an Oscar. He talks, every quote we see about him talks about how he wants this person, thinks this person should have had an Oscar from his movie, that person should have had an Oscar from this movie, he wanted an Oscar for this. He wants Oscars. And... That's why him retiring after film number 10 without getting Oscars is bullshit, in my opinion. And Heavy wears the crown. You know, that <laughs> yeah. early front runner. Heavy wears... Sure. Heavy lies the head, wears the crown. Heavy... That crown is heavy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a heavy crown. It's a heavy crown. You fool me once, you ain't fool me again. I don't know sayings. <laughs> uh, my number three issue that I need to address and I'm curious to see actually has to do with the movie itself. More camera tricks. Cinematography that not only Quentin Tarantino himself, but his director of photography on this set, Rob Richardson, three-time Oscar winner. We talked about that in part two of our uh, Oscars 
mid-year Oscars report. Go back and listen to that from a couple days ago. But very, very curious. In every one of Tarantino's films thus far, he's blown us away with a couple camera shots, more than a couple, in each and every movie. I'm very curious to see when you have the most photogenic people in the world talking about one of the most tumultuous times in American history, when you have those two elements coming together, that could suggest that there's some wild shots waiting for us. I'm very, very curious to see that and very excited to see what he does. He set the bar high, yep. hasn't he? Sure. I mean, in Glorious Bastards, we gushed. Yeah. And he did some great things in Jackie Brown and some, you know, indie film things in Reservoir Dogs, but the talent in moving the camera in Reservoir Dogs was, was obvious to us. Oh, yeah. Right from the start, whether he's delegating to his DP, which I'm sure he is, or he's, you know, kind of forcing the, the camera to move as much as it is himself. We know he's got a knack for it, or we know he's got a, a management style that really completes the composition at the end of the day to where we're always wowed by the way the camera moves. And we know he uses big production equipment, let's say. Oh, yeah. Watching all the making of stuff. Like, the cranes are huge! Yeah, the, the set behind the camera is just massive. It's full of mechanical instruments and people everywhere. I'm surprised he hasn't made a movie about a gaffer yet. Gaffer Bill right. from Annabelle Comes Home flicking the coins. Or Gaffer Joe, whatever we call them. The, he should have made ten movies about a gaffer by now. He's made multiple movies about stuntmen. Yeah. I, and, you know, maybe if this is his rosebud, in a way, maybe this is him going for... You know, I'm, I'm not only going to get Best Picture and Best Director this year, I'm getting cinematography. I'm getting Mr. I'm Getting the two acting categories, yeah. So. Richardson is put up with so much of my rambling. <laughs> Bob just is stone-faced and rolls with whatever I'm feeling at the moment. And I just talk, chatted his ear off, yeah. literally speaking right up against his ear. So <laughs> like get close to the microphone. <laughs> Can't you? That's Tarantino. Yes, we made, Quentin. Yes. Okay, Quentin. All right, here's how we can do it. <laughs> I know that, that Richardson's that's the trailer is just an empty, vacant spot with like a throw rug in the middle and just Jack Daniel bottles everywhere. <laughs> he lives like uh, Matthew McConaughey, a true detective. Right. Right. <laughs> stares. At, wakes up. Stares at the mirror. <laughs> oh god that's funny all right so my what are we on my number three yes your number three am i gonna love this soundtrack i'll talk about a production value as well you know does dj tarantino unearth some golden oldies some b-sides some old jukebox hits from his fabled collection so with him it's kind of in the spots you would least expect like you think tarantino i would think the best Soundtrack, oh, it's Pulp Fiction, right? It's, I mean, you have Travolta back on the dance floor, Uma Thurman doing the mechanic. There's got, there must be so many montage songs. No, the best Tarantino songs have been from movies I would least expect. Death Proof. Right. I'm going to talk about Django this weekend. I think that soundtrack is phenomenal. It's awesome. Wouldn't have expected that from that type of movie. Not so. At all. Do you expect a great soundtrack from a Hollywood movie? Maybe. So does that mean it's not going to be as good as we would think because based on Tarantino's history? You're getting totally caught up with the, the subversion of M expectations here. You're not fooling me it's again. <laughs> <laughs> you fooled me once. You can't fool me again. I'm you're tired. Of, I'm tired of being fooled by this guy. You're so you're gonna have bad music? Is he gonna put bad music on purpose into this movie? It's just tuba just sounds and fart noises while people are walking around Hollywood. Mike, we're used to great music in these movies. I keep getting surprised pleasantly by the music in these movies. Well, is it? You talk about bar and expectation. Hollywood 1960s. You would think it's gonna have the right. best soundtrack of any movie ever. Yeah. I mean, I was just re-listening to the Three Billboards soundtrack. And it's great. Yeah. And it's music that I've never heard before. Mm -hmm. And 
death proof. Muse, most of the music I've never heard before, even through my college days where I'm sampling everything right. from every decade like we all did at one point with the iPod. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that I'm going to put a bunch of songs onto my playlist after this movie. I'm with you. I, I have the highest of hopes for it, but I'm not going to be fooled. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what's your number two? So my number two is... I guess I want to know who the star of this movie is. Yeah. I mean, we know it's going to be Leo, right? Because your eye always goes to Leo. You think it would be Leo, but I don't But your eye also always goes to Brad Pitt, because he's gorgeous. So I'm curious to see how that dynamic is broken down, because historically, Leo, in my mind, this is a me thing I'm talking about right now. When I think of Leo's all-time performances, the scenes that jump to the front of my mind are basically him being loud by himself. as a po- Except for maybe Titanic, where he's king of the world with Kate Winslet. And, and Otherwise, I, I don't really have a lot of... Nothing jumps to my mind of classic Leo scenes involving another person. The Wolf of Wall Street would do that to you. You love The Wolf of Wall yeah. Street. I love The Wolf of Wall Street. He gives the loudest performance in that. We wanted the Oscar for him right. from that movie. Sure. Probably more than... Any other year, like probably the Tony Collette performance I would Hereditary agree with, this yeah. year, we were very bullish on that. We were huge on the Leo and Wolf of Wall Street performance. Now, I think uh, this is a fascinating question because Brad Pitt has a big scene with Bruce Lee in the trailer. Right. We have Brad Pitt getting punchlines in this story in the trailers with the Leo character. Is Leo Norma Desmond? Is he like the crazy actor character, the Gloria Swanson role that William Holden kind of yeah. acts off of. And it's really a story about Brad Pitt and William Holden. I mean, Brad Pitt is the one in the previews that's going to the Manson compound, not yeah. Leo. If he's in that storyline, it may be more about Brad Pitt or it could be a true two-hander. The question I have is, even in a true two-hander, someone has the climactic decision at the end of Act 2 and someone has the climactic decision in Act 3. we just seen this with Django. I'm not going to mention who it right. is, but Django Unchained is a, a buddy movie mm-hmm. throughout the middle, or it's a, even though it's a serious one right. that has a few laughs, but a serious one, thoroughly serious otherwise. It's a buddy revenge movie in a way. Buddy revenge movie. Yeah. <laughs> right, but it's no question about Kill Bill... We know who the protagonist exactly. is. Exactly. We've we, seen ensemble films before. We we understand that dynamic. What is the cast structure of this one? It's something that the New York Times critic came out from watching the movie and still questioned it. And the camera does not follow Leo when Leo's in the movie, right? Like, Brad I Pitt that, I have at least seen play a side character in a supporting look, role. The camera does one thing. Your eyes do something else. <laughs> Are you just admitting your uh, your man crush on Leo? I love your Leo. Crush crush. I, yeah, it's not a man crush. Well, actually, my man crush is Brad Pitt and Fight Club, but that's not because I'm gay. It's because I'm human. But I, I, I can't picture a world. It's going to be very interesting to me to see the scenes that Tarantino writes involving the two of them. And that's also why I hone in on I think he's already gotten cute with it in the previews because having a structured scene where you have two of the biggest A-listers in Hollywood, A-list actors, sitting down and neither of them are the lead in the scene because they're both being interviewed by somebody behind the camera. Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating that you're kind of forcing them both to be reactionary instead of active so neither one can take the lead unless that scene plays out differently. So, and then you give 
Brad his own scene. Right. And you give Leo his own scene. Right. We've already seen those in the trailer, and I think they've marketed Tarantino films very well in the past. If we, if the, the past is any indication, and marketed his movies honestly in a way, right? We, sure. There, yeah. I mean, there's no, there's been no mother misconstruing between a Tarantino film, right? What we see is usually the idea of what we end up getting. So, yeah, I mean, Leo has acted against people in the past. Right. right? Jack Nicholson, Daniel Day-Lewis, like like we've been talking about. Is this going to be a true two-hander? That's a fascinating question. Yeah, he's certainly been up against, you know, like I said to you, I'm curious if when come Oscars time, if this is an Oscars contender, when we have that scene where we're looking back at the year in film and we have all the this, the famous scenes from all the year the movies that stuck out this year, are we going to have a f- scene from this movie where it's Leo and Brad and it's so memorable and it goes down in cinematic history as one of the most memorable? Because all the ingredients are here, yeah. but I mean, look at, I hate to make an NBA analogy, Having stars is nice, but having somebody that knows how to control the stars and have them play together is what you really need when you have the stars. You do need that. Yeah. Maybe Tarantino has the cachet to make right. them play together well enough to that. Brad Pitt winds up being a Best Supporting Actor nominee, and Leo winds up being a Best Actor nominee, or vice versa. We don't yeah. even know. We've talked about it the way the rest of the award punditry have, have, have talked about it right now. Is this movie going to be nominated in actor categories? It needs to be if it's going to win. Yeah. Best Picture. Yeah. And it probably needs to be contenders in those categories if it's going to win Best Picture. Basically, this is all just an underhanded way of me, now that Brad Pitt is single, wanting him to join Leo's quote-unquote pussy posse with Jake Gyllenhaal because I want the paparazzi photos of three of the best-looking men in history just roaming the town together in their free time because, like Us Magazine has told me all my life, the stars are just like us. There's so many things in that sentence. <laughs> That makes me fear for you. And I, it's not just uh, that saying about the man. I have also have my man crushes. I just talked about an old, uh, who was the guy that had the Oscar gaffe? Warren Beatty. Yes. Old yes. Warren Beatty's a yeah. handsome goddamn man. <laughs> Overwhelmingly so. My, my face red. Mike, we have you reading Us Magazine? You've never read Us no. Magazine? No. Oh, stop it. I've never read You're Us Magazine. You're yourself right I've now. I've never read Us Magazine. Let's move on. <laughs> What's your number two? My number two is what are all the Easter eggs? Yeah. And what connections are we going to make to the Tarantino-verse? This is something that we've done throughout the rewatch. And it's been a, one of our most fun segments to, to record. You know, will he give, a, give us a movie that demands further study with all these references to his other films? It sounds like it from listening to the Cannes interview where there he's like, this is like a, I didn't mean to write a summation of all my films, a summary of it. I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the connections to Tarantino verse in the sense that is he going to define the Tarantino verse? Are we going to get a stuntman dad reference? Are we going to realize that uh, Kill Bill is a movie in this universe? Yeah, well, if not, so if Death Proof is a movie movie, uh, movie in the Tarantino verses, then I think it would be cool tongue-in-cheek to have that playing on a billboard as the characters are walking down the street in Hollywood here. I guess, I mean, Pill Bill probably can't be playing it, but a Hateful Eight could be playing in right. any decade. Yeah. That's not time you know, time sensitive. Is the Hateful Eight going to be a poster in this movie? Right. I, I would love to see that. And you know he does this, too, to even just to antagonize us at home, the ones that are always kind of looking for those Easter eggs and looking for those connections. I have no doubt that something will be in play here, and maybe he'll just throw everything on side, and, you know, we'll have... 
Bill be a real player in Hollywood and not right. the character in a movie that should be. Now, you could also figure this next point out really easily, but who are the quote-unquote Tarantino actors that are going to make cameos? We know Zoe Bell's in it. We've discussed her before mm-hmm. when we were discussing Grindhouse. We, we knew she was going to be in this movie. I'm so tempted to click on the full cast, but I'm not going to do it, Mike. I don't want to know. I don't want to know who Samuel Jackson's going to play, if he plays anybody. Harvey Keitel... Will Tarantino play a character? Will he play a director? Is he like John Ford? Is he some asshole? Is he a good guy? So let's play fantasy bookie here. I would put (laughs) Samuel L. Jackson's odds of being in this movie at like probably minus 200. I think he's pretty sure to be in it. Is he going to play Shaft? Uh, oh, that'd be good. Is that could be good. Shaft, yeah, have a Shaft Bruce Lee crossover. Yeah, I could. I could. That'd be I don't good. Know. Uh, I would put Harvey Keitel probably at like plus five hundred. I don't know that I expect him to make an appearance. I would put Tarantino showing up in his own movie at minus a hundred thousand. About Hollywood. Yeah, there's a thousand percent chance he shows up in his own movie. He's gonna play a director. Right? Without uh, sure, he's gonna play something. He'll be the most important. He'll be Oz. In this fucking movie. Like, he'll be the guy running Hollywood from behind the scenes. I'm surprised he's not a fat Charlie Manson, to be honest with you. All right, Mike, you're number one. My number one is the most obvious to me, is that going to see if this movie ends up matching the hype that we have put on it and that everybody has put on it at large. The numbers couldn't get much higher from the aggregate and critical review sites. Our expectations couldn't be much fuller. We're all here now. We're on the precipice of this moment. We're going to see this movie for ourselves for the first time. Does it live up to the expectations? that all of us and the industry have put on it is it going to save original filmmaking is it going to save the studio movie that can now be made for 90 100 million dollars and still be profitable outside of disney i think there's a lot of other expectations a lot of other think pieces and storylines that we don't even think necessarily are related to tarantino movies that are going to be tied into the success or failure of how this does at the box office and at the oscars overall i'm curious to see what the fallout is and where this lands in the history of cinema the stakes are super high for it and is this the wrong movie for the stakes to be super high for? Did he just make a buddy comedy? Did he just make a fun Hollywood How movie? How funny would that be? And it's not <laughs> at all really an Oscar picture. All it's a well-made, polished movie. And it's just it's, Brad Pitt and Leo smoking weed for two hours on screen. cracking jokes. <laughs> yeah. Really good jokes, maybe. And maybe there's a serious through line. There has to be with the Manson family, and perhaps. We don't know. We don't know if he's going to address the Manson family at all. I agree with this as your number one. I'm going to pick something else. Uh, But I I agree with this because, you know, we're going to have super high expectations. All our rewatch have hyped us up. Sure. All our rewatches thus far. Mission Impossible made us need Fallout to be great. You know, Toy Story 4 had to be something good to the point where you're before the movie, you're like, I'm so nervous. <laughs> just be good. Just be good. <laughs> the Nun was a sobering experience because that <laughs> yes, being bad, was. that being bad really hurt our rewatch. Yeah. We've done the MCU and we've loved Infinity War and Avengers Endgame and all the other subsequent movies since then. Thank God for that. We yeah. probably wouldn't have other rewatches <laughs> if Avengers not. Infinity War was bad. <laughs> probably not. Good point. We wouldn't have even done another rewatch. Just, oh my God, what a disappointment. Yeah. And you, you hold grudges. <laughs> sure. So you would be the first. <laughs> Certainly do. I would have had to argue my ass off to get another rewatch. In. Well, here's here's the bigger point about me holding grudges, too. If this movie is good, and it doesn't win Oscars, I may end this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's going to be that movie is what I'm saying. If it's an inherent vice that's done better, 
And I liked it here in Vice, but I don't love it. But it, it, it's that movie done it's better. It's a dichotomy because it's you. Everything is pointing towards it is that movie, except for the reviews about the movie <laughs> and about the plot. Right, like everything says, this is a high eighty-eight meta rating is huge. Right, nine point six IMDb is higher than any. I mean, on seventy-five hundred, that's no tiny sample size. That's higher than any movie ever on the site. So the users, the audience, the critics all seem to love it, and yet the reviews we've had say it's 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 a slow Jackie Brown buddy comedy. <laughs> I don't know how those two things mesh. How is that an yeah. Oscar movie with a buddy comedy? I don't get it. So here's my number one: Does he have something huge to say? whether it's about the industry, whether it's about the last five years of controversies, whether it's about his controversial career. Is it merely a love letter or does it have teeth? You know, We've seen his movies have a lot of teeth. We've seen rounded characters. We've seen introspection. We've seen you know, criticism of the, in, of the industries on display. Mm-hmm. We've seen the power of film be a literal force. And then we've seen you know, allegories possible for these films especially in Glorious Bastards that we just discussed. I don't ascribe to David Benioff and D.B. Weiss' maxim that themes are only for book reports hmm. when they talked about their episodes of Game of Thrones. I don't ascribe to that maxim. Because it would totally undercut your last words that we had in the Inglorious Bastards episode? I argue against <laughs> people who think his filmmaking is nihilistic. I argue against the fact that they don't have meaning. I see meanings there. I see... You know, the, the webs of symbolism there as a film critic. I see it there. I don't necessarily put it all together. Is it, I don't think they're allegories, which is why. But why make all the homages if you don't have an overall framework that you're going for? And I think he does. I think freaking Inglorious Bastards had an obvious theme to it uh, that we touched upon with power dynamics. Yeah, so he's going to have something to say about something. He always does, right? I, I mean, the subtext is always there for something within his art. Is it going to be about the Hollywood industry specifically? Right. Well, if any movie he ever did was going to be about that or purport to do that and deliver that message, you would think it would be the buddy comedy in Hollywood movie. Is it going to, does that mean it's going to happen? Absolutely not. It could be in total, you know, if for, for Christ's sake, you're the ones that made the point that, that Inglorious Bastards was no more than an allegory for his experience with Pulp Fiction at the Academy, right? So he could be talking about anything cathartic to get out of his system. That theory is out there, yes. <laughs> so I, I, it's a great point overall in that, is he going to have something to say? Oh yeah, he'll have something to say about something. It may take us 15 years to figure out exactly what that is, mm-hmm. but he's going to have that message there for all of us to see. Uh, I hope it's about the current state of movies, and I would love for it to be about original properties and the de- you know this de-escalation of franchise-only movie making we're in. That would be my dream, if Quentin Tarantino can take aim at that and kind of undercut it with one of the more successful original properties in the last however many years that this is shaping up and hoping to be. God, I hope that $30 million number for its opening weekend is a gross underestimation. Go see this movie, you people. At the very least, I think we both want a movie that encourages more conversation. If it's talking about big issues, will this be an exercise in film appreciation that we so love? Or will we be forced to criticize it? Both, probably both. I mean, it's been both throughout this rewatch. We just want something really substantive at the end of the day. I, I, I don't want more credo for that nihilism argument. I know it's out there. I know smart people have made it. I, I push up against that. Even still, Mike, this is one of those rare movie events that happens in July where we get an Oscar frontrunner, in our minds, released now. So let's end on that. Why is this being released in the summer? 
Is it because California is sunny and bright and so he wanted it to relate to all parts of America? Maybe he knows this is not the quote-unquote Oscar grab that we all think it is, and maybe it's just a great time at the movies. I would be shocked if this man who obsesses over the Academy all throughout his career has made his most intimate and personal and surmising film about all his movie making and said, I don't need Oscars for this one. You could be right. I mean, this could be, for the guy that totally subverts expectations, this is what he does, so maybe he's doing it on a grand scale now. Ever since The Dark Knight, ever since... Well, I mean, it goes further back. Silence of the Lambs was released in February, February or January, yeah. right? February, yeah. You know, Get Out was released in February. Mm-hmm. Black Panther was released in March. You know, We've had the Oscar rollout happen throughout the calendar. It doesn't have to necessarily No, happen. it doesn't, yeah. So right. the fact that July could be a Tarantino month, fine. I mean, we know he's done well in December. Mm-hmm. We know he's done well around Christmas, but this could be another obvious time where they can make money and that could be the bottom line for you know studios that need to make money because these studios have been you know universal needs to make money with this yeah well that's 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 an understatement yes people need to challenge disney go see this movie uh, if you don't plan on it and then hopefully we'll be able to give you an oscar sprint profile that changes your mind and hopefully tarantino gives us a reason to give you that oscar sprint profile to change your mind we are all looking forward to this we want to know if you dear listener are looking forward to this as well for your own movie standards your own popcorn movie standards are you an academy junkie an oscars junkie and have high hopes for this do you have high hopes for another movie that you hope this kind of falters so the other movie that you're rooting for can come over the top of we want to hear about all of that and more what are you rooting for what are you looking forward to what interests you in any aspect about once upon a time in hollywood yeah, what are your top five questions that you need what do you need answered that's a great point mike what do you need to see from this movie does he need to be more apologetic does he address his controversies in the past well enough for your liking or not tell us anything and everything you want to see about this movie you can reach out to us we want to know your thoughts comments questions concerns about this and anything else we cover in the mmo empire we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcast whether that's TuneIn, stitcher soundcloud itunes spotify google play etc etc just type in mike mike and oscar you'll see our cartoon smiling faces waving back at you right now uh, also if you appreciate what we do here if you take a couple seconds out of your day and go on apple podcast give us a five-star review we would truly appreciate yes, that thank you may give you a shout out on that sh- on this show if you do at some point michael What's coming next? What's after the weekend? Or what's in the weekend? Or I don't know what day it is. We're recording this early. Where am I? <laughs> We're going to have MMOW. <laughs> we know that much. Mm-hmm. We're going to have uh, Mid-Year Oscars Report 3 that you kept pushing. We're going to have The Hateful Eight. And Django, I don't know if we're releasing this before or after Django. So Django should be tomorrow, if my dates okay. are correct. We're already preparing for Django yeah. to record literally tomorrow. R- right. And then we'll, we'll release yeah, it, it works in both ways. Yeah. Tomorrow after this comes right. out. But you're going on vacation, so we're recording everything the the week and a half yeah. before uh, you leave. So so this stuff is so if something breaks <laughs> about once upon a time in Hollywood, and we don't seem to be covering it, that's why. And check episode. out our Instagram. I'll be yelling into my phone on the ride up. <laughs> so that could be why we didn't cover something major. But hopefully this this Martin break. Scorsese's doing a Ninja Turtle movie. <laughs> And that is a movie within this movie? Oh, my God. Tarantino poking fun at Scorsese. (laughs) Guys, when reality sucks, uh, you can come watch movies with us. Do you have any words of wisdom there? The tagline for this is the ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. That's just damn good career management 
career marketing. His ninth film, the fact that this is his ninth film, uh, say what you want about the guy. He is a brand un- unto himself. Is one of the more underrated things about him is every single interview I've read. Oh, not every. Say nine out of ten that I've read, he always manages to slip in. Look, I can never work again if I didn't want to. I don't have to be doing this. Thanks, Quinn. We know he's not wrong. Though, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. He, he You're a very a wealthy game. man. We're aware. Michael Jordan's an arrogant guy too. Yeah, uh, you got. You got to have the. Got to have the ego. I and guess. Back it up. Uh, guys, like I said, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We are trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we will check you out soon. See you.